Happy New Year. Everybody doing all right? Welcome to 2019. What a great year it's going to be. I have no doubt. We've seen God do amazing things last year. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do this year and uh, the people that he's going to draw to himself. You know, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I love him with all my heart, and I, I want to serve him with all that I am. I love his church body, <laughs> the body of Christ. I love you all. I look forward to being with you every single day. And to me, it's a joy to be able to serve his body, to be able to preach, to be able to walk the journey together. And some of us are going through some crazy times. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a blessing when we know that we, there, there are people that are, will walk the journey with us. And, and what I want to share with you this morning, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about leadership. And we're going to be in the next, the next few weeks, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And um, I, I hope that you will just open your Bible up to Joshua. Um, you know, Reggie McNeil, um, he said church is about people. It's about people. And I, I think this is huge because we can help one another live more intentional in our, in our love for Jesus Christ and in our, our walk with Him, uh, being intentional in how we do that. Um, and I want to say intentionally walking in abundant lives as the Holy Spirit blesses us and as we be a blessing to others, we have that opportunity to, to encourage others toward godliness. You know, over the years I've, I've been in several quite a few airports and flown different places in missions around the world and, and other things. And, you know, one of the things that Reggie McNeil said was he said, church is kind of like an airport. It was never intended to be the destination. It's someplace you go to get somewhere else. And, you know, it, it's kind of like if they kept numbers as far as how many people pass through the airport. I mean, when people get focused on the church, this isn't our final destination. Our destination is the kingdom of God. And the thing is, is, is we're just passing through here. It's a hub for us to get to where we need to be and where we are going. And so any way that we can help others get to that place into the kingdom of God, that's what we need to be about. But the church was never designed to be the destination. And somehow we think that, you know, we just got to get people in the church. You know, I, I want to walk the journey with people, but I don't want to hang out at the airport. I mean, I don't really care for airports. They're a means to an end. But in the church... I want you to understand something about leaders. Leaders are not the last word. It's not the last word. They're simply the people to whom God and the congregation have turned to help accomplish its goals. I think this is huge. 
Because many times we look at leaders in the church and we think, well, if they say yes, then it's yes. Folks, Jesus Christ is the leader of the church. He's the head of the church. You know, and and I love that because that takes a whole lot of pressure off of me. Because I wondered for years, what if I fumble the ball? What if it drops on my watch? What if, what if, what if? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, look, all you need to do is do what I tell you to do. Follow directions. Be obedient. You you can't mess this up. I know that you are, uh, you know, a, a fallen individual, Ridge. I'm giving this to you to carry at my direction. So with that in mind, you know, we, we recognize that leadership is, is not given. The trust it takes to lead has to be earned. I am blessed when people call me pastor. Because it tells me that they're giving me, they're giving that to me. That I, I want you to be my pastor. And, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. In our, in our text, I'm going to be reading, uh, beginning in Deuteronomy, just the, the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. I want to read verse 9 and then Joshua 1 and 2. And, um, you know, Joshua becomes Israel's new leader. He has been anointed, uh, basically, by Moses to, to carry on the leadership and, and if you read in verse 9 of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. He was the anointed leader. He was the one who was going to help them move into the promised land. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Joshua, it says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. See, he had been, Joshua had been Moses' right-hand man all through the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. Joshua was one of those people of faith who came back after he spied out the land, him and Caleb, and said, hey, we ought to go take it. The land is good, and, and, and God is with us. And the ten other spies said, no, no, no. Uh, we, you know, they were, they were fear mongers. They were, they were ones that didn't have the faith. And so they, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. When, Joshua, when, excuse me, when Moses would go into the tabernacle, Joshua would be right there with him outside watching his bags, you know, carrying his luggage, doing the things that needed to be done. So here we have, it says, And the Lord spoke to Joshua, My servant is Moses is dead, now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all these people. See, so now he is responsible for the nation and its future. 
Joshua is the one in, 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 that is responsible for that. And, and, and those he hopes to lead, they also have to decide whether or not they will follow him. Folks, that's the choice each one of us has. Are we going to follow Jesus or not? We have to decide that we're going to do that. See, Joshua, in the process, he becomes a model for for biblical leadership. And I want to give you three requirements this morning that, that I offer to you of biblical leadership. And the first one is this. The first requirement is to have a sense of call. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a biblical leader, according to to God's word, then you need a sense of call. And the narrative begins with God telling Joshua his plan for him. He says, I want you to get up and I want you to get ready and I want you to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Go into the promised land. And, and I love this because if you read on in, in verse 3 through 5, it says, God tells Joshua, he says, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. What an amazing promise. Wherever you go, whatever you, wherever you walk, that land I have given you. And I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. I will not fail you. Or forsake you. And so this call becomes the purpose following the death of Moses. It becomes the purpose for Joshua and all of his life. And the remainder of this book of Joshua is he's doing just that. He's carrying out the purpose and the call which God has given him. And I would say to you this morning like Joshua. Pastors and church leaders need a sense of call. Before agreeing to leading a congregation, really to leading anyone. If God didn't call you to it, then you shouldn't do it. You know, Bill Hybels, in Leadership Journal, he says, there is a spiritual gift for leadership. Some people have it, and some people don't. He was referring to Romans 12, 8, where the Apostle Paul says, if you have a spiritual gift, you have a spiritual gift of leadership, lead with it and lead with all diligence. And the word Hybels translates leadership means to literally to take the lead. If God has given you the gift of leadership, then lead with all diligence. See, if you agree to be a leader in the church, You are agreeing to be out in front of the crowd saying, follow me. Do what I'm doing. Follow me. News alert. Just giving you a heads up. News alert. Our nation is in desperate need of some great leaders. 
the church is in need of some great leaders. You know, if, if you're going to be a mediocre leader, if you're not going to put your heart into it, if you're just going to kind of bump along and, yeah, I want to be in charge, then please step aside so that a great leader can fill your shoes. Because we need leaders that will, that will lead with greatness and excellence and, and diligence in the church and in our nation. We're in desperate need of some great leaders. It reminds me of the song by William Merrill. It's an old song. Back around the turn of the century in the 1900s. Right when the, the world was on the brink of, of a great war. He wrote these words. He says, rise up, O men of God. Don't make it about men and women. Rise up, O people of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God. His kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O men of God. The church for you doth wait. Send forth to serve the needs of men. In Christ our strength is great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where His feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man. Rise up, O men of God. Folks, we are in need of some great leadership. See, accepting God's call to leadership also means accepting the responsibility of that call. They go together. If you accept the call of leadership to leadership, then you accept the responsibility of the leadership. See, that's what our nation does not want today is responsibility. But we can't get away from that. If we accept the role, then we accept the responsibility. They go together. The reason why many Christians do not get into the fullness of their inheritance in Christ is because in some way or another, we are still looking to Moses. That is, to our own good works our own adherence to the law to get them in. But Moses couldn't even enter Canaan himself, much less get anyone else in. And Israel had to wait until Moses was out of the way before they could enter into the land under their new leader. See, Moses stands to us for the law and Joshua as Christ. When we consider the matter of entering into our promised possession, it may be that we want to continue to trust in our good commitment. Our good commitment. Our duty to get us into the blessings of what we see in some Christian's experience. And if so, I want to say that Moses is still alive within us. We're relying on that. 
Folks, we cannot go over into the Jordan. We cannot cross over the Jordan. I mean, we may still be thinking about things like our prayers or our earnestness or our Bible study or our faith or our zeal. But listen, all of that has to do with Moses. The commitment, the duty, the law. All of that is Moses. And it's still within us. Do me a favor. Mark these opening verses in Joshua. And mark them well. Because this is the clarion call for the people to go into Cana, the promised land. He's saying, arise and go forth into the promised land. Get up and get after it. Back your ears and go do it. That's what he's saying. But listen, Moses had to die in order for that to take place. And Moses in us has to die in order for Jesus to be our leader. This is huge. I mean, this great lesson here for us is that Joshua and not Moses took the people and led them into the promised land. It was Joshua. See, Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. And when we fast forward, I mean, this was 1,000 B.C., before 1,000 B.C. When we fast forward into the New Testament, the New Testament form of Jesus of, of Joshua's name is Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. Oh, that we would simply trust Jesus. That we would die to self, leaning only on Him, following only Him, and how quickly He will lead us into that full experience of what He purchased on the cross for us. Abundant life. Not, not the, 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 the less experience that we so often experience down here on earth. I mean, may Moses die now within each one of us so that we can only know Jesus and no one else as our leader. It's Jesus. We have to have that sense of call. The second requirement is this, a sense of community. See, leadership does not function in isolation. It is with, it is for, and it is through people. I can't lead a group of rocks out in the field. I can't lead a group of trees. Leadership is in, through, and for people. I'll give you just a quick nugget of some southern fried gold here. A person who is not willing to follow is not prepared to lead. A person who is not willing to follow is not prepared to lead. I say that because many times we don't, we don't want to follow anybody. We want to do what we want to do. You can't have it both ways. Because I'm following him. 
and others are following me. If a person is not willing to follow, they're not prepared to lead. See, people who become great leaders need to learn how to serve and follow others before they get their turn at leadership. See, an effective leader knows that leadership is a relationship between him and those who follow him, those he is leading. It's a collaboration for achievement. I mean, an appropriate question that a leader might ask and followers might also ask is, what have we agreed on to do together? Where are you taking us, Ridge? What are we doing? See, we're all leaders. We're leaders in our homes. We're leaders in our workplace. We're leaders in our schools. We're leaders in in every capacity. And so we need leaders that are willing to step up. We need need leaders who have a sense of community, who have a sense of relationship with those they are called to lead. Folks, I'm talking about committee members in our church that get things done. We need leaders who are willing to to have that sense of community and, and, and know that they are in relationship with those they are called to lead. You know, at the end of chapter 1, this is what Israel's response to Joshua's leadership was. In verse 16 and following, it says, They answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Look at verse 18. He says, Any, they said, anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Folks, the stakes were high. We want to follow you because you're God's man. And if someone is not willing to follow you, then we're going to get rid of them because we want to follow you. Folks, that's amazing commitment from the children of Israel to Joshua, who was anointed by God to lead them. Not only did God call Joshua to serve him, But now Israel calls Joshua to serve them. And they become a community, a nation, with Joshua as their leader. And as we study over the next several weeks in Joshua, please understand this this passage has a couple of traps that you need to be aware of. And, and, And the first one is this. It's confusion about the identification of Joshua. Hear what I'm saying. Joshua is not a type of pastor. He's not your John MacArthur or, you know, the David Jeremiah or even a Charles Stanley. Here's my point. The people of God today want a human Joshua to follow rather than the invisible Lord Jesus himself who is the captain of our salvation. We want something tangible, somebody we can see, somebody we can blame, somebody we can go to when we have all of that in Jesus Christ. 
who is the captain, the author, the finisher of our salvation. This is why we need a multiplicity of under-shepherds. We need multiple people. No one leader can bring to the table all that we need. Joshua is not a type of super, you know, single pastor model of leadership. However, spiritual leaders do need a pattern to pattern themselves after Joshua in many important respects. I mean, there's stuff that we can learn as pastors and leaders from Joshua, but there's stuff that people who are following can also learn from Joshua. See, Joshua is a picture of Christ. A picture of Christ to, who leads us to spiritual victory. And into his rest. Not only in heaven to come. Stay with me here. But here on earth as well. See we think that somehow. He's leading us to that eternal rest. When Jesus promises the abundant life here and now. He promises us that, that when we abide in Him, and that, that, that there is nothing that is too difficult for Him in our lives. And we walk around wringing our hands over the circumstances in our lives because we are swimming and, 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 and we can't quite get a grip on it. But Jesus came so that we could be victorious here and now. Not just then, but now as His people. And he wants us to experience the abundant life that he desires for us. So the, the, the first trap is confusion about who Joshua is. The second one is confusion about the identification of Canaan. <laughs> I mean, thinking that crossing the Jordan represents a transition from this life through death into the joys of heaven is a mistaken interpretation and application. Here's my point. Just to be very clear, Canaan was a place of conflict and conquest. They had to fight for every inch of ground that they got. There was a battle going on. Canaan wasn't the place of rest in heaven when we get there and we just rest on our laurels. No, Canaan was a place of conquest and conflict in the here and now. It was bloody. It was horrible. It was war. It was all of those things. But you see, God's people must take responsibility and be strong and courageous and fight the good fight of faith. We're not just hanging on till we get there, folks. We're fighting the battle daily here now. So armor up. Get your helmet on. Put it on. Put on the armor, the full armor of God. Because we're not going to a picnic in the park. We're going to a land of conquest. And we're going to have to fight with blood, sweat, and tears till we get there. Stop wanting the easy road. 
Don't wait for victory in heaven because God wants us to experience victory now in the midst of the enemies today. We fight the world, we fight the flesh, we fight the devil here and now. I don't know what you signed up for, but you better get your armor on because you got a big target on your back when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I mean, we armor up so that on that day we can stand firm because the enemy is roaming to and fro seeking whom he may devour. Sense of call, a sense of community. The third requirement is this, a sense of commitment. In the passage, God tells Joshua that, the, <laughs> that he is the source of his strength, his courage. Each will be the result of Joshua's commitment to the word of God, to the laws of God. Look in verse 6 and following. He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. He says three times in this short passage To be both strong and courageous. Be both strong and courageous. It's a a double command. And he mentions it three times in four verses. I didn't read verse 9, but I will in a little bit. But he says it three times in four verses. I think that's important. Be strong and courageous. Remember that whatever God commands, God enables If he tells us to be strong and courageous, then he enables us to be strong and courageous. See, the key to spiritual success is feasting on the word of God. Feasting on the word of God and doing the word of God. Being obedient to the word of God. See, the victory and the possession of the land which follows which we're going to read about, is a direct result of the Word of God and a man, a person, in this case Joshua, hearing and responding to God's Word. That's what he says there. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Folks, this should illustrate for us that there's absolutely no victory or chance for us to experience the blessings of the new life in Christ apart 
from the word of God. You can't just add Jesus to what you're doing. You need to feast on the word of God and do what the spirit of God tells you to do. See, that's where the spiritual success comes from. Whenever any believer begins to turn away from the word of God through indifference or or apathy or for whatever reason, he's turning away from the Lord and he's turning toward defeat. We have everything we need in the word of God. In his word, we have everything we need. I have to say a, a quick word about something here. You know, sometimes we read a lot of good Christian books. You know what I mean? There's a lot of good biblical Christian books and commentaries. But Andrew Murray, he reminds us in one of his books that milk, milk represents food which has already passed through digestive processes before it is taken in by us. When we think about it, it's kind of like, ooh, I never really thought of it that way. But think about this. We could say that all the little devotionals, all the helps to to holiness, the commentaries of thought and teaching, no matter how valuable they are, they represent food that has passed through the spiritual digestion of others before it comes to us. And it should be used and recognized just like that. Someone else has already digested that, and I'm simply receiving the product of what they've digested. Am I saying that all these are bad? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Just the opposite. We utilize them, but only in their place and for their purpose. If they become our primary source instead of the Bible, then that's not good. They become a crutch for laziness. We're relying on something that someone else has already processed. Rather than processing it on our own. And it helps us to be lazy. And that prevents strong exercise. And that can lead to spiritual atrophy and decline. What happens is we get used to somebody else feeding us milk. Rather than us digesting it for ourselves. You see, if these things are put second, they become delightful and valuable. Inspirations to further thought and pathways to deeper blessings. See, after we've had our own time in the Word, (laughs) then we're better able to enjoy what God has given through others of His children, especially those whom He honors with, with, with godly teaching and the gift of teaching. So it must be first and foremost And constantly, our time with Him and our time in the Word. That's how Joshua's success was coming about. See, God is looking for leaders whose strength is received from a commitment to Him and gleaned from His Word, whose courage to stand out and to stand up for something is a result of the spiritual conviction and discipline. Along those lines, we talk about losing leadership traction. 
Sometimes leaders do not stand up for much because they've let their relationship with God slip. It's not usually calculated neglect that causes some leaders to wane and dwindle. The strain of family, the church, the mortgage, all the counseling, the constant starting, motivating, encouraging, and enduring in the face of negativity and adversity are so demanding that sometimes we just forget to nurture our relationship with God. We get busy and we forget. And because we have unintentionally neglected that relationship, little sins can slowly make their way into our lives. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Men and women of God, if we let our relationship with God slip, we will never be the leaders that God has called us to be. Listen, it's hard. It's hard being a leader. I understand. I know. We have to be ever mindful of God's will. And we have to be ever mindful of the call on our lives. And we have to put the needs of others and the wants of others before our own. But most of all, we have to be intentional about our relationship with God. We have to be intentional about our relationship with God. Asking Him to help us to make a stand. Becoming the leader that He's called us to be. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's definitely not just going to happen on its own. We've got to be intentionally moving towards Him. We have to get up. We have to show up. We have to take steps toward Him and His Word. I bring all this to you this morning to ask you, what are you going to do this year? What are you going to do this year? We have a brand new year. You have a new slate. You have a fresh piece of paper. You have a new calendar. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Be intentional about your relationship with God. Folks, it all starts with your relationship with Jesus. You know, in verse 9 of that, of that passage, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If God is for us, who could be against us? We know who's against us. We know the enemy. What are we going to do about it? I say we armor up. See, each of us should consider renewing our commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Sometimes it might just be something small. One little area where the enemy has gained a foothold. But we don't want any wiggle room for the enemy. I mean, just to commit ourselves to do more and to be more for our great king. To follow Jesus more closely. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And Father, I do confess in my own life there have been times where my relationship with you has has slipped. And Father, we, we repent of that. We say, Father, forgive me. Lord, I pray that for your people. Father, that we would desire to make you king in our lives and in our hearts, in our church, in our homes, in our nation, in our schools, in our workplace. Father, that we would not allow the enemy any foothold. That Holy Spirit, even now, that you would search our hearts. That you would look and see if there's any areas in our lives where we've given over ground to the enemy. Where Satan has taken a foothold, where he is taking over and using things against us. Lord Jesus, we desire the, the victorious life. We desire to live above our circumstances and to be walking with you each day in lockstep with you, armored up, ready to go, taking the battle uh, to the field, Father. Not sitting back and yawning and waiting for the fight to be on our doorstep. But God, that we would give our all to you. That Jesus, you would be Lord in each of our lives. And that today we would commit every room in our heart, every ounce that we are to you. God, help us. Help us to rise up. Help us to be the men and women, the leaders that you call us to be. Father, we ask this because of your great name. Father, we know that you are a gracious God and that your mercies are new every day. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us. Help us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.